Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 32 of the Filmed Live Musicals podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Lyons, and my guests today are Ricky and Dani Young-Howes, who since March 2020 have written over 200 digital theater reviews. Welcome, Ricky and Dana. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so lovely to have you here today. So to start us off, uh, what made you fall in love with theater? I was the theater person first. I dragged Dana kicking and screaming into this. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a film person, and um, we actually met in grad school, and I was studying to be a screenwriter, and they were studying to be a playwright. And... I am what I affectionately call community theater trash. I grew up in a town where the nearest union, we had a union house in our area, but they only worked with New York and outside actors. The nearest place where if you came out of my college and could go anywhere was 50 miles away, so you would have been declared out of town. So they hired people from New York too, because if you're going to pay for someone to stay in your lodging, you're going to... So there's a lot of places where a lot of people were in coming out of college but there was no job for them. You would have had to move, and I couldn't move yet. So I went to grad school and said, okay, I'll go to master's degree. I fell in love with theater because I grew up in the church, uh, church system, and there was church plays, and I was always enthralled by them. And I grew up, and I went into college, and I just dived into it. I did a lot in high school, and I just loved that aspect of it. And so I came in to a grad program at Hollins University as, with the MFA playwriting. My second year, I met them. Mm-hmm. They threw bottle caps at me. I threw bottle caps at their head. Directly at my head. That's, and, how, that's how we met. I was trying to scare them away, and it failed. So that that's also our love story on top of how I we got I was like, the well, I'm going to jump <laughs> on this. And, <laughs> and so... A lot of our arguments came out, and this will be really important with how digital theater happened. Yeah. Um, all of our arguments were screenwriter versus playwright, and I was a jackass. I was like, oh, play- screenwriting isn't that bad. Playwriting is so much easier. This is- well, it's the myth of, like, in film you get paid, right? Yeah. Like, we, we always have this thought process that filmmakers get paid, and screenwriters get paid. And but... playwrights have this idea where they're the whipped martyr, where like, no one understands me, and I work so hard that no one, people want me to make something more commercial. And But, like, my, one of my professors in school literally said, don't pay the writer. You know, like, it was a producer's mm-hmm. sort of thought process to don't pay the writer, if you can avoid it. And a lot of my uh, playwright, or playwright professors were people who quote-unquote, sold out and went into film to get paid. So we had that, there was that argument going for about five years before digital theater happened. So then, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, we get married, (laughs) we moved to New Jersey, we get married, Um, we're here for five years through, was it was it five years before all this went down? Yeah, mm-hmm. we got married Valentine's Day 2015. We hate Valentine's Day, by the way. But, 
Yeah, that's a that's another story. We'll, that, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back on that. Five years go by. Yeah, it was twenty fifteen and twenty twenty. We had I had been working as a um, theater reviewer, trying to work and find a job as a theater reviewer because I got hit diagnosed with dystonia, and right as I right as I came here, and all of a sudden, what I was doing was I was building sets and working as a production manager. That was my trait. I was going to be a playwright, and then I was going to be able to get a lot of gigs as a production manager, maybe a general manager for a building. And that kind of flew out the window because working with power tools, working with things became very hard. My hands and my legs just were not working with me anymore. Can you explain what dystonia is? Dystonia is, I always put it as like your brain is pushing buttons on your muscles that you had before. If you've ever seen someone who um, in physical therapy gets hooked up to a TENS machine where they hook up these electrodes to them. The fake pregnancy machine you'll see on guys. Or you'll, like see the guys fake... you'll see guys putting these, um, they'll be strapping these electrodes to their um, abdomen or something to, um, simp- to like, what's the word I'm trying to say? To imitate to the feeling. Yes. To imitate the feeling of the cramps. My, I don't need that. My body does that naturally. It tenses mm. and like spasms the muscles of my hand. Like right now, you'll see my hand is like curled up, and all these muscles are tense and they're curled up and they're just shaking. And that's my everyday. Like it's usually associated with Parkinson's disease. Um, mm-hmm. If you see Parkinson's disease and people's hands are curled and they're shaking, that's dystonia. And also one of the most common forms of dystonia, the writer's cramp, is it just you have one bit of muscle that keeps cramping up because you've been using it so much. Well, what I would say is like it's a writer's cramp in your entire body or mm-hmm. entire hand or my neck. Anyway, it came to the point where I was I liked designing, holding a pen and just designing be different the only thing that it came to the avenue the only way i was still going to make a career in the arts was through writing because mm-hmm. i can write like nobody's business i can churn out a lot of content and i can i can sell like nobody's business well then i fast forwarded too far because we started doing theater reviews in 2016 oh, then we started okay then we go into 2016 we started doing theater reviews in person. In person. Um, we, we started trying to get a hold of local theaters. We reached out to local high schools, middle schools, touring community theaters, touring companies, trying to find people who were doing the work and just reviewing everything at the same level. One of the things we pride ourselves on and we still try to do is like we don't care whether it's middle school or professional. We review them at like, okay, you are you are a professional, you are doing theater, we're going to treat you like you're doing theater. And I think um, I think that's good for kids, especially, like, and that doesn't mean, like, we're, like, mean, but it doesn't mean that, like, we're very, we're very honest, like, about what they can improve on, what they could do better. And that worked out for a while, from, like, 2016 to the pandemic. Right before the pandemic hit, I was dealing with my own disability. I have ankylosing spondylitis, which is an autoimmune disease where my bone, the bones of my spine. There's so much inflammation. It's like your 
the bones are scabbing over with more bones to fuse together. That's the simple, oversimplistic Yeah, it's basically a very strong arthritis of the spine. So I need needed new medications. I needed I needed new everything. And I mean, I say this, I wasn't diagnosed till December 2020. So I'm like, I'm still getting ahead of myself. Like at this point, we're still dealing with what we thought was lupus. So like I'm taking medicine every day. I'm in bed all the time. I'm in pain. So like I can't get a full-time gig. We're trying to make the writing thing work. And I'm substitute teaching. And it was getting so hard to substitute teach because I was using a cane. But I was getting so tired. I was literally counting the periods until the study period. And so I could just go run run to the faculty lounge and sleep. It was getting to the point where I couldn't. And I got fired off of a job just because i was just so tired i just let something slip and then mm-hmm. and so it got to the point where our 2020 actually didn't start with the pandemic our, our 2020 sure. started with my phone got stolen the windows in our house got broken mm. and ricky got fired from one of his jobs and so we're like we quit we're gonna quit we quit, so we quit reviewing. We're going to quit being critics, at least for a while. We're going we're gonna to take some time off. We're going to regroup, recenter, and figure stuff out. And then to quote, I love these TikTok quotes, quotes about the pandemic because you can't say pandemic without getting like COVID under your thing. And so they'll be like, a whole ass panda bear showed up. And I'm like, yes. Or a panda express showed up. And that's how it felt. So the the Panda Express showed up in March, March Friday the thirteenth, March twenty twenty, and I'm like, everything shut down. We were like Ricky's second sub job. We were like, yeah, you're not going to work on Monday. We already knew. We already were I like, I was filing no. for unemployment like before anybody else was. Mm-hmm. Smart. I <laughs> Saturday. I think it was Saturday, March the fourteenth. Yeah, we had already like tried to. We were fighting off the hordes for toilet paper. <laughs> I was already like, okay, this is just happening. They don't, they won't call subs back. It's just too crazy. Like we actually made a call because we had enough money where we could have either paid the rent or we could have bought some supplies to kind of make it through what was going on. And we were like, okay, let's get supplies and yeah. like because we knew. But what got it? What got us fully started was our friend Katie Willow who Oh before before you go into that I I want to rewind a little bit when oh. you were reviewing pre-pandemic when you were reviewing yeah. in-person theater can you talk about your process because clearly oh. uh, folks can't see you they can only hear you uh, on on the podcast but I can see that you are you have written about this that you like think with one mind and I can see you <laughs> riffing off each other it's it's really fun okay. actually to watch but mm-hmm. I'm curious how your your writing process and given your different backgrounds of film and theater how did that come uh, together when you were when you were reviewing in person okay theater? crucible the crucible okay we we're <laughs> the, still together i can say crucible we've story. reviewed the crucible twice <laughs> and we both know which crucible we're talking about yes <laughs> i was the one writing alone kind of uh, writing alone and what would happen is dana i lied to people to said dana is my social media manager because dana is the boss social media manager and so like i was and we would be doing live tweets and a lot of stuff like that where dana was 
incredible at that stuff. Theater live tweets, by the way. I more theaters need more to do shout that. outs to all theaters. Theater live tweets on your previews. Call us. We'll we'll be in. That's an awesome thing to do. Um, anyway, one of the things that I would do is I would be writing my notes for the viewer thing, and Dana always would have a note on her phone going like, uh, "Make sure you put this in." And I'll make sure that. And then there was we were, one time we were watching the Crucible. This was the first time we were watching it, and I was looking at. Was this, it the the high school was the first time? No, it was the second time. Sorry. Yeah, the first time was the live tweet at uh, uh, Cumberland Players, and that's when everybody Jersey. said I was funny because I said thing. I said tweets like, "This is suspiciously looking like a witch hunt." <laughs> and so when you have actors coming back over like oh my god you were so funny I was like why were y'all looking at the live tweet shouldn't y'all be working <laughs> shouldn't you be doing the play and I think the problem is I think a director got the director was a little myth because we had been we we, we um, cursed their solemnity um, and we scorned their solemnity and they I, we haven't really been invited back but for the one we're talking about, we're talking about the high school one, which is the second one. And I had been looking at this, and Dana had seen it once. I loved The Crucible. It was there. And Dana said said one phrase that kind of went like, okay, we are both the reviewers of this because this is too good. And, da- um, and Dana said, you know, I'm on Abigail Williams' side. I know. I'm the crazy. reason why is because this, this was a 15-, 16-year-old girl. Who was um, t- who was working, and then taken at a uh, then preyed upon by a forty year old man, and in this society she has no recourse. There's nothing she can do. Rape of the child that small doesn't exist, or if it doesn't exist, they're not doing anything about it. And she was fired when they found this out, and he's doing fine. And everybody would have. And if she had talked about that, they even say in the script she would have hanged as a whore. Like, so what? And so Dana was like, "I'm, I'm totally with it. Burn this down. Burn this whole thing down. Me too." And um, it, it like, and so like, yeah, that's not the real story. We all know the Crucible, the play, and like the, the real what actually Salem. Happened is a- like Salem is a tragedy based on a whole bunch of people losing their minds at simultaneously we know witch hunts happen after diseases i mean diseases wars wars. it was just like a release valve but the idea of like when you're a critic and you're being faced with the production and then you have the legacy of the script and what's literally there and he unfortunately wrote a script where you're writing a script about a 16 year old who's now eight you know she started out at like 15 16 she's now 18 and the only recourse of action she has against her rapist is to become the villain and to become the villain of the whole town. And I just realized it. And like, I went to an all women's college. I went to Douglas college at Rutgers university. And like, I can't on feminist my brain. It just can't turn off. There's no off switch. And I'm just sitting there like, Oh my gosh, that's all you could have done, right? Like you can't, you can't go to the town leaders and be like, "Hi, he raped me." Well, you're a whore. Like, like you, you asked for it. So, you wore a dress. You, you have yeah, hair. Yeah, and you shouldn't have been wearing that bonnet. It was yeah. very. <laughs> and so, Dana, this is where I realized that okay, 
this is not written by Ricky Younghouse. This is by, written by Dana and Ricky Younghouse. And um, this is where the whole R&D happened mm-hmm. because I've, we then just started putting everything Dana and Ricky Younghouse because Dana's insight into things was leaking so much into mine. I could have either started writing out exactly how much um, their ideas were getting into things. I could start giving credit, but then I realized it would be almost like 60% Dana's ideas and mine, or we'll just split everything equally. <laughs> it um, was easier to write by R&D than it was trying to figure out whose idea was what, because we, we riff off each other constantly. And it got to the point where it's like, a sh- and then when we, the way R&D happened was, uh, for a long time, it was like Dana and Ricky Younghouse, because I am a feminist, and so I, I was like, I'm not putting the man's name in front of the his name, but um, D D D N R D N D N R has a very it? different <laughs> yeah. And so when we moved forward, it was like oh R and D. That sounds. It like... was like research and development R and D. All right, we we can so, make this work. So the process we went with every script and we brought this into the pandemic was that we look at what we see, we see what were they trying to do. And then we see, well, was it worth the doing? That's really the Gerta things. But then we add into the idea of, like, what's the legacy of the script? What's- see, you're explaining it very smart person. I always say, what were they trying to do? Was it successful? If yes, how? If no, why not? And that's usually how we go into and every you, script. And you've just now seen, you've just now heard the exact process <laughs> of. I write this. I write. I write what it is. I take it. It's usually very well written and wonderful. And Dana looks like, it looks at it and says, "No one's going to understand that." Mm-mm. And no one's there. And so I have to cut everything. I take it back and I go, "Well, this is a bunch of just like." Dribble, and they go, oh, yeah, it is, but just punch that up, and it'll be fine. And then people go, oh, and then everyone goes, oh, you're so insightful. I was like, it was about eight paragraphs before. <laughs> yeah, yes, fill, fill to the brim with $7 words. Yeah. It was just wonderful. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying because I know what these words are, but the average reader will not change the words, <laughs> make them simple words. And so we've now gotten a more of a shorthand where I don't have to, we don't have to edit everything so much because I know we've gotten a working rhythm. I do most of the typing because Dana's I typing. I can type with three hands. We just, we just three sound fingers. sad now. I can type with three fingers. You don't have three hands. <laughs> I wish I did. Maybe that other hand would be better. I would of the three hands, but Sony would have five hand five fingers between them. There you go. I could type with three fingers and one thumb on this hand, and Dana just I can kind of thumb type with my phone, but it's tough. I the arthritis is in every joint, Mm -hmm. and my hands are one of the places. So this is actually a really good way to go there. uh, Get into what we were working before. It's like we were having a hard time because of our disabilities going to in-person reviews. They were tiring us out. Working was killing me. Well, I mean, when we were seeing plays in person, like we love seeing theater in person. We, we do. We do. We we won't, we will never say like, oh, in person is better. And I people mean, people like to assume that we just hate in person now. And but. it's like, no. But what would happen a lot is we would get an email or a Facebook message the day of a show, and like we're a good forty-five minutes from the nearest theater. And so, like, if we're being told the day of, I'm 
you're dealing with the fact that I'm disabled. I'm an introvert. I'm exhausted all the time. We both have like our mental health. We've been working on that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And yeah. so like all of a sudden I had to go from today is a Dana pajama day to, uh Oh, I have to people. Did I even like, do I even look like people ready? Did my hair people, do I have people ready clothes available in my closet? Did I do enough laundry to to people today? And it was very much that. Yeah. Um, and we would just, and so we love in person. We will be going back in person. We, we have been for about two years. And we're hoping like 2022, like, especially, um, I, I'm saying March, but God only knows what May, I mean, not May, what New Jersey february march will look like but we'd like to go to new york and like we have a bunch of friends up there kind of spend a a lot of new connections we'd love to see spend like a weekend and just like see as many shows as humanly possible okay i think we've now laid enough groundwork are you sure we we could go throughout a lot of stuff now now in like 1987 when i was born no this is so helpful and so you know, as you know, I'm a cancer survivor and, you know, I, it took a few years of my life to, uh, that I couldn't go to the theater in person and, um, because I, I was immune suppressed and, and couldn't be around the great unwashed. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. but also what you're talking about this, like fatigue and, um, yeah. you know, do you have enough energy to be around other people and, and sit through a two hour show and yeah. what accommodations do the theater have in place to um, accommodate All a physical disability or intellectual disability? Like there, there aren't many um, uh, accommodations in place to help people manage that. Like most theaters don't have elevators in New York, for example. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, it, we've dealt with that. We've had a big complaint about that with some of our local theaters. Like we, we get that you're trying to be historical, but your community, especially one of the other problems we have. And like, I say we're youngish when it comes to like theater watching community, but like, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and like that's I, I say youngish. But like a lot of the people who were going to see theater in our neighborhoods were the older crowd. And I'm like, they're you're making them climb stairs, you're making them have to deal with this. You know, I would see ladies who would ladies and gentlemen who had like canes and walkers trying to get to the top row and I'm like, this is in this is it not okay. Be, it should almost be very much inverted. That bunch of accessible seating versus quote unquote normal seating. Yeah. You have it almost, it should be almost a 60 40 in most of these areas. Because down in South Jersey, because a lot of it caters to a much older, much clientele. older clientele. And like they, they kind of know who their audience is. They're built in. They're not, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, they don't think about that. They don't think about disabilities. They don't think about how you have and to And then you factor in cost and, and like usually the cheap seats are in the back row. <laughs> oh, yeah. of course. Of course. The good, you know, the, the seats you can afford 
um, are always the worst, or you have to climb the stairs, or you have to figure out how you're going to get up there. Um, and like, so for us, and, and another thing that was killing us was the financial, like yeah. gas, like it's, we weren't paying cause we're critics, but we were paying in gas in food, like, because we would, we would be like, okay, are we going to eat here? Are we going to try to eat on the way there? You know, this is a 45 minute drive. We don't want to get there right on time. And then, like, of course, shows never started at, like, 8 o'clock. It would be, like, be here at 7 o'clock, be here at 7.15. And then the show would still not start till 8 o'clock, but you had to be there at 7.15 for the preview. And it's, yeah, it was a lot. And it 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 took a toll on me emotionally. Like, I got to a point where I think I was crying. Like, wasn't I? Like There was a point where, um, as we were having to go near the Camden side, um, near Pittman, New Jersey, where we, um, it was getting to the point where just to keep our brains working, we were over, we were overdrafting our cards just to oh, yeah. get done. So this unpaid, this unpaid writing resume where I was trying to make, we were trying to make a living breathing resume to show people that we, like there is theater here. You can come sponsor us you can, there. It just, it wasn't working. It took a lot out of us. And so, yeah, part of the reason why we got, I think, I mean, we can talk about our journey into digital theater, but I think one of the reasons we latched onto it so quickly was because it was more friendly for us, um, more friendly for our disabilities, more friendly for our wallets, more friendly for... All of a sudden it was very achievable. Yeah. I mean, like, one of the things... I mean, we don't do this anymore, but like when we first started and we went to Cincinnati Fringe, which was our third. It was our third digital theater thing ever. We yeah. went from watching one film stage performance that was um, Katie Willow, Katie Willow Coleman's um, Helvetica at Woodstock Arts in Georgia. And that story was just simply like they were about to go up, but Friday the Thirteenth happened, and so like they recorded. They had one the of rush. Their... They were they were chasing. They were basically racing the lockdown orders to get it in and like salvage. So they recorded anything. one of the um, rehearsals actually, and it just worked out that it was really good. And we're like, hey, you know, we know the director. She's a friend of she's a friend of ours through Hollins. We know the playwright can we come in and review this for you? And they said, hell yeah. It was very much a, they were friends of ours from Holland's. We knew them. And mm-hmm. then the second one was very much, that was our first zoom theater experience. Like yeah. what would, that was our first like bapti- baptism into digital theater. And I, we knew from the very beginning, I knew at least that I was like, this is a, this is amazing. There's a lot of potential yeah. here. I almost like I don't. Can we not go back? This is. There's I was a probably lot of only one. There. there, a lot of people will like crap on Zoom theater, and it's. I've seen there's like this is. I'm one of the only people who was like, can we keep? Can we keep right here? This is really really good. It proved a lot of fun things we could, you could do with it. Um, but what I was saying was when we went to. Cincinnati Fringe, like one of the things we did that we don't do anymore is we were doing five, six shows 
a day. Because <laughs> it was easy. You just you just kept them going. You know, you're like, okay, we watched that show. We got the notes. Great. Next show. And you could just watch them back to back to back. And so we're the reason half the reason we got to 200 reviews was just because we were able to get more shows. We were able to watch more. We were able to do more. It was a well, let's talk about why it was easier. Let's talk about any normal people. And if anyone's listening, why um, digital theater is very much easier for two mm. people with disabilities like us. I can watch them laying down. Yeah. We've watched many a show lying down in our jammies, and that's the only position we're in we can get in at that point uh, we're in our house we didn't have to travel um like our our idea of the concessions run is we have a wawa next to us and we'll sometimes like in between two shows we would have gone and grabbed dinner or we'd have this but it's not we're not going 40 minutes out of the way it's usually to the corner store and back, back. Or, yeah it is very achievable we had noticed several times before to replace that feeling of having a live one-on-one connection with the audience. A lot of Zoom performances were re- requiring you to leave your microphone and camera on, mm-hmm. and they wanted they knew I they knew wanted that, an interactive audience. They wanted an interactive audience, but it more made it seem like you were now a performer. Mm-hmm. because the audience space that we had all agreed upon was just the silent camera off, microphone off, so nothing kind of intrudes. And I understand kind of what they're wanting to do with their aesthetic, but what they didn't understand is for someone with a uh, disability um, like or anyone who might have um, something going on that you don't know about, that allows people into your home. That allows eyes into your space. Instead of a communal theater space in person where we're all a group of strangers or a community coming together and we're in it's not it's a neutral space. It's a neutral space created by the performer. The performer is borrowing our spaces. They're borrowing this little square of our lives. And people can peek into it and because of a certain part of the Zoom culture people can dm you if they don't like you if they don't understand what you're t- doing they can it's more in more in zoom than anywhere else can the audience take matters into their own hands and stage screen managing and house management in a virtual space is such a small fledgling um pl- field there's not a lot of training for it so I saw a very potential problem, so I needed to write an article that's up on our um, blog right now talking about, I was just letting people understand that when you're asking us to do this, this is what you're asking. You're asking us to live stream our disability and perform it. You're actually putting us on blast across the world, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's not okay with us. As a performer, you... I am a former actor, I'm a theater, I'm a clown, I love performing in front of people, but when it comes to my disability and I'm watching something, there's a different level of self-awareness I don't need to have. But now all of a sudden I'm aware everybody's looking at me, this camera is on me, and and as my threats accurately displays, I have multiple things co-opting in my brain 
multiple i like to say i'm just kind of have a bunch of roommates in my head that live rent free and we all have to work together and we all come into the theater together and so we wrote this article and i said it's you need to allow certain people to opt out of leaving their screen off if they can't allow that Mm. i was thinking about people who might be on oxygen who are watching digital theater i'm thinking about people who have who are caretakers of a child of a child or a parent or a spouse i was thinking about people who needed just i cannot have my camera on or i can um have my i can't have my microphone on i can have my camera on but i can't have my microphone on and so i made little instagram squares that i are up um on our you can get them on um, our website on our website you can steal them they have a logo on them which is basically it usually says I have a disability, so I can't keep my microphone and camera on, but I'm still enjoying the show. We have red, it's like red light, yellow light, green light. So we have a red light, which is I can't leave my camera and my mic on. Yellow is. is I can, can't leave my camera on, but my microphone is still on. I'm re- really seeing the show. Mm-hmm. And then a green light of I just had to turn my camera off for a second. I'll be, I'll right, be back. right back. And I'm in. And it's like say, telling the performer, it was like, break a leg. I am watching. I am looking. But I can't I can't participate in that way. I think a lot of times people forget. And, I mean, this is one of those, like, R&D reveal the dark secrets of their existence. Like, we both have very severe diseases that cause exhaustion. And um, one of the things that will happen is one of us will will fall asleep whether we want to or not no matter how amazing the play is no matter how amazing um no matter how great the show is no matter how great the writing is no matter how great the acting is we just will be terminally exhausted because something will click with one of our diseases we're both held together by pain pain medications and duct tape and sometimes not even the good duct tape i know it's like <laughs> i i would say duct tape and hope right it's holding and us sometimes, together like where's the duct tape I, we don't have <laughs> we're, we're out of we're duct out tape. of duct tape <laughs> <laughs> we're out of duct tape uh, everybody sound the alarm and so what would happen is like one of us would tap out while the other one would go in and watch the show. And that's happened more than once. And like, it's, it's I've done it. Dana's I've done, done it. it. And it's just like, we just take turns because you just have to. And so when they require you to have your mic and your sound on, they're expecting both of us to be there. And that's not always possible. I and think this is why- really important going forward in the, yeah. as you know, digital theater finds its ground and as it grains more traction, that it's not just about provide accessibility is not just about providing ASL uh, interpretation or captions. If you are having an interactive element where you're requiring your audience to be on screen, having an awareness that your audience may not want to be on screen and mm-hmm. honoring that, that it's okay. And it's not about not wanting to participate. It's not about, you know, I, I just don't want to be on camera. I'm camera shy. Like it's, it's much bigger than that. And how practitioners can uh, incorporate that knowledge into how they build their shows. A, a lot of the content that I have watched has not been interactive. It's just been like put it on a screen and, you know, yeah. sit back and enjoy it. And I can be in my pajamas and sit with my puppy. And <laughs> um, yeah, everything's fine. And I, I love that. 
but in shows where I have been uh, required to be on screen, it, it is much more of an effort because it's like, you know, even just putting on a filter requires yes. like tech knowledge or having the right computer system. Like I discovered my computer, um, even though it's like fairly new and has the most up-to-date operating system, you can't blur my background on Zoom. Um, um. So like, you know, if I'm going to be on call, I need to be in a space that's appropriate for other people. Like you say, people yeah. are coming into my space. I think that's really interesting. Uh, and we, I will definitely make sure to link to that uh, article. We'll send it to you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll put that we in the show notes. We tell everyone, steal the images. I mean, they have our logo on it. But besides the vanity, it's <laughs> Ignore up. our vanity completely. It's still like, <laughs> an important thing to say. That's, and I'm, I'm so glad that you have created that resource. And I, I hope that people, there's a tip jar or the like for people to contribute because that is and time and energy of, that you have uh, spent too. We have, we have a coffee and we'll put that too. And what we've <laughs> noticed is that people, the performers actually embraced it very well. One of our screen... Uh, one screen manager of the year in the um, Arn Young House Theater Awards last year. Um, she, I showed, I shared them with her, and she had been a screen manager for multiple shows around the world. And she said, "Yes, I need this because it's the Wild West out here." Um, I remember calling out. There's a wonderful show called um, Betsy Carmichael at the Bingo Palace. You play bingo with Betsy Carmichael. And you're playing it live. A fabulous drag queen of epic mm. proportions, and she is amazing. I've talked about how she would call out people who didn't have her um, their cameras on there, and I've talked out, and she immediately apologized that I'm going to work this in camera. A lot of people are very happy with it, and that's where, that's where criticism is actually taking a wonderful... Criticism for digital theater is taking this wonderful term where a lot of people said we're making it a dialogue. Mm -hmm. They are just trying stuff and throwing shit at the wall. Hoping it sticks. And, and a lot of critics have, there's been a lot of critics out there who've been now started talking about it. And, but then I think we're the only critics besides maybe we'll one or two where people said that we're actually bringing back to the conversation, mm -hmm. making yeah. this a two person conversation. And this speaks also to the importance of having critics who aren't just cis able bodied white guys <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah because you we need we need these viewpoints to show that the audiences that are watching are not just cis white able-bodied people it's, that was it, one of the that was one of the fights we've had before and i will actually throw this to dana because dana's been having this fight as uh, a black female okay. presenting but a gender person yeah um, who has been fighting for visibility one of the things I get a lot as a theater critic, and it, um, especially as we got into digital theater and we got more broad, and I've heard this from other theater critics, I've heard this from theater makers, I've heard this from every level, is that, oh yeah, there are so few black critics, there's so few BIPOC critics, I, you know, I can't make it to every show, you know, I would hear BIPOC critics saying, I can't make it to every show, you know, we could share information and you could see some of them. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like for some of my, some of the creators we know, I'm the only black critic they have ever met. And that, I, 
I we've seen so many black shows thanks to digital theater. The um the BIPOC community really stepped their game up mm-hmm. with digital theater because they found that they didn't have to wait for gatekeepers to tell them yes or no or anything. Like they were just like, I can put up a show. You can't stop me. And, and it was just shocking that like they hadn't had reviews from black critics before. Absolutely. They didn't, they didn't have people who understood like the culture or understood where they were coming from. And that, that, is so frustrating to me because I'm like, there's only one of me, <laughs> you know, and I I want to see as much BIPOC, much Black creator stuff as I can. I I mean, I've actually made a point where like I'm I intentionally seek out Black shows, but it's like it's it's never enough, and it's so heartbreaking that there are so few and. I mean, I, and it's not just theater and digital theater, but it's like, it's film yeah. talking about um, Captain Marvel and how most of the critics who reviewed Captain Marvel were white men and like they just didn't appreciate a woman-led project. Mm-hmm. Same with the Eternals. All the Eternals reviews are really negative. Why? Well, because there's nobody who looks like the cast reviewing the film and so you're like maybe there's a problem here and that's why we've gotten very i'm going to say the word militant and i'm actually very militant about we make sure we recognize black artistry and we make sure a lot of times we've had to pull back and say okay we can't be chasing everybody we can't you need you you know where email is put the press release in and we'll get it but we always have a for Queer and black um, Queer, projects. Black, we, disabled. We will search. We've been searching that stuff out. We still like search all that stuff out. We try to um, intentionally seek them out and try to make sure that we're including them in our conversations constantly, mm-hmm. because I think people forget about forget about these groups, and we we are loath to think why, you know, there's no good reason why to, to not include the disabled, the LGBTQ, the, the BIPOC. Well, it seems like the, and this is, um, it seems like to me, the more we search it out, the more we find that these bigger corporate theaters, the reason why they're invisible is the bigger corporate theaters act, act, desperately like they want to add in accessibility but every time we're trying to talk about them they keep on picking projects that seem like they don't need mm-hmm. that kind of thing we've talked to we're so glad that um, after what's happened this year people have added more representation in places but every working every working BIPOC artist disabled artist there is still hustling like they're looking for work haven't we yeah. noticed that a lot of the projects we review on that side are still independent. It doesn't really things. do you any favors if you're going to pick a show that's traditionally white and just put a black lead in it. That doesn't change anything. One, I know you, um, you focus mostly on film musicals, which are classics. And yes, there is something to say about having a black um, alphabet 
I'm saying, saying it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, the wicked fans are going to kill me. <laughs> um, um, but like, but like, there's also so many new works. I think we kind of bounced around because one of the things that's kind of funny is we, we were talking a bit about how we started and we said we started with a friend and like our second thing was also a friend. Our third thing, and from then on out, was um, I used to be a blog. I used to be a review blogger, which is basically me just getting on my computer, finding a brand's PR, press, media, email, whatever I could find, and saying, hello, my name is Dana. I Here's my blog. Here's what I do. May I review your product? here's what it'll do, you know, stuff like that. And so I, I've written more pitch emails, hundreds in my time. And like, I just, I stopped doing that probably in, no, 2015. I stopped yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of took that same energy into digital theater and I'm like, okay, fine, let's do this. We're theater critics. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Everything's closed. We noticed you're doing something digital we would love to come in dig digitally to review it. And that's how we met most of the people. It's funny because everybody tells the story like, we don't even know where y'all came from. And all of a sudden, you know, you showed up and I'm like, well, cause I found somebody, I found somebody connected to you and I found a back door in. <laughs> like most of our initial connection, our first initial connections were through all my moderates through like, people knew but a lot of it was dana going hi it seems like you're doing a show mm -hmm. um and when we did our first friend since friends we would find out where they're going next yeah a lot of it and i will point directly to dana this person a lot of it is dana is like a bulldog with a scent in their nose <laughs> and will find you if you yes. if you think you can't be found dana will find you <laughs> And that's why a lot of like Black Lives Black Warriors moments is like you just dropped out of nowhere. We didn't even know who you were. I said, I'm like, yeah, I knew who you were, mm -hmm. and like, and like I can find the emails. I can find all this. Uh, we we could tell you horror stories of finding emails. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I we, feel your pain. <laughs> Research from my the newsletter and finding shows to you know that are streaming each week. It is incredible how many companies or theaters do not have contact information or do not have like the basics of ticket information on their website. <laughs> and I, I have every week I put out a weekly rant. Please, please <laughs> put information on your website. <laughs> people yeah. ask people ask me what's the first thing they could do to boost their sales. And I would say before you even ask for consulting from Dana, who's a social media guru have an email you check frequently and a phone number that gets answered mm -hmm. and, a, and, and a website you, with basic with showtime show name how to buy tickets if it's available if on demand find, is it live streaming the, the yes. there are so many places that do not have that basic information and i'm like Those please don't complain things, about low ticket sales because you don't have the information available on your website <laughs> i was gonna add that one because those are the three things and a lot of it was hard because you are also talking about companies that were brick and mortar before or heavily relied on that kind of PR 
who would usually throw out a mailer to their subscribers. And the subscribers would show up, and so they got comfortable with that. And then you're moving into a wider brand. And we keep on, as we've been seeing now, as we've gone to where a lot of people doing digital theater, people who want to, not necessarily have to, uh, we found that those people are really good. They've taken some lessons and learned what to do. But it seems like a lot of we're seeing also think pieces um, from like American Theater magazine <laughs> saying like, oh, well, the the jury's in. We all don't like it. I said, well, you were all people who had a massive subscriber base and five hundred thousand dollar budgets. Of course, you, you don't were, like that it. whole stage was built on doing these big cast things that sold out immediately by having people who drove who packed buses to bring in you were tourist trap destination and that article only uh the sample size is 64 theaters out of the hundreds of theaters across the united states it doesn't include independent contractors it doesn't include people that were freelancing and creating their own work like i that article made me so crazy it had some good points but also like it was such a tiny sample size and its conclusions were insane that to be able to conclude from 64 theaters, oh, virtual theater is not a thing. No, I'm sorry. The majority yeah. of our people who have been reviewed by us twice or even, I'll even say once, where people were small groups of two to four people making something dramatic. We follow a lot of fringe arts, but even um, our up in New York, off off Broadway, yeah. some of that. Um, four people and they're small independent. They rent the space. They're not huge artistic directors. And they're, it's and, not the same clientele as everybody thinks when they think theater. And I think um, people count them out and they shouldn't. You would get a much more realistic view of what the theater is. And it would scare the crap out of all of us. If you notice that the, all the people who are making digital theater, this in the pandemic, a lot of them were the fringe artists, the independent contractors, the people who had to, because there was going to be no support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These were the people who had to make digital theater because they needed to eat. (laughs) They had to make digital theater because it was digital theater or starvation. And the, the places that said they could close their doors and, and do nothing could because they were resting off the salary that they already had and they had the salary to sit back and fundraise and see what was going on and what they probably did and i'm willing to i would bet you money is the reason they didn't make money off the digital theater is they convinced their subscribers hey if you stick with us if you stay subscribed and you buy this special dis pandemic discount subscription you can see plays as soon as we reopen and it convinced a lot of people to just hold out until they reopen. A lot of theaters in our area have been doing that. They've been doing the $50 um, a show. They've been doing the $50 season tickets or doing mm-hmm. these rush tickets or selling them like they're going out of style because they didn't do digital theater all throughout the year. Yeah. They are, now they're reaching back out to their subscriber base doing shows that they know will drag people in doing shows that they know are a guaranteed hit. And what should scare everybody in the world is that if like in-person theater, if in-person theater was that popular before, you shouldn't be having to almost give it away. Yeah. 
And I think that's why a lot of people who pan digital theater, who pan say it's not real theater, is like, well, real theater's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote, real theater's in a pickle right about now. We've, we've had, we've gone toe-to-toe with people who have said like, oh, digital theater isn't theater, digital theater isn't this. And I mean, you've read our article. Because um, that was Dana's idea, 100%. Let's talk to them about what the actual... Pancakes and waffles! Um, I love this so much. This was why I reached out to you. This fantastic <laughs> yes. article. Please explain for listeners who haven't read it. And I, again, I will. I, there's this. Uh, the show notes are going to have a lot of links. <laughs> um, <but> look, please, <laughs> be... please do share about this fantastic uh, analogy of pancakes and waffles. There'll just be links all throughout. <laughs> um, pancakes and waffles was actually something I had in like a late night rant. Like the. The best worst thing about being married to your business partner is that like there are just some times where you're in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my gosh, this is just this is so stupid. Honey, wake this up! I have a thing. thing. <laughs> I have to tell you something. And, and Dana will start wondering why I'm writing stuff down, and I'm like, did you not hear this? Because all of a sudden. But I was like. It's pancakes versus waffles. This is all this is. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in the world because everybody keeps comparing digital theater with in-person theater, and it's just a matter of preference. It doesn't matter whether or not you like digital theater. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter if you, you know, it doesn't change your in-person theater. In-person theater isn't going anywhere because you have digital theater in person theater is not getting hurt because there's digital theater. So it's the equivalent of saying, how dare you like waffles? I want my pancakes. <laughs> how dare you? And so I'm and like, I'm doing this whole rant and like, I'm ranting and raving about pancakes and waffles and how like, that's exactly what digital theater and in per- the digital theater, in-person theater debate has become. It has become like, oh, digital theater's not working. Why? Because I hate waffles. And it's like, no, <laughs> stop. <Yeah. laughs> you don't some like. Some days I'm going to want pancakes. Um, some days I'm going to want waffles. Another day I'm going to want pikelets. <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's like they're all breakfast foods. It's fine. And, and it was such a just a silly thing saying, I don't like it means it doesn't exist. Yes. And then the only thing that was worse, and reason why we had to decide to point and laugh at these people, is we got so tired of people quoting dead white guys to us. Oh. About, it's like, well, Oscar Wilde said, Oscar Wilde would look at this little brick that we have called a phone and see that it's playing theater and throw it away because it looks like witchcraft. <laughs> so and we just say that Shakespeare would be so mad that people, uh, the people with vaginas are playing his female roles. They don't care. Digital theater is so far advanced to them that it would be blow their minds. And even like the most, and the one little academic thing, the most of our um, theater criticism about what theater criticism came to be was left around the 80s well before teleconferencing was a thing yeah and we just stayed there and never went forward and so it got to the point where none of this was this was all a hypothesis based upon never 
breaking that mold open and trying it again. Well, I mean, like, I'm a film person, right? And, like, one of the things that bothered me is film has always been theater's little sister. You know what I mean? Film film came about because of theater. A lot of the first um, film actors were old stage actors. Like, the ver- I mean, this is something so, I argue with film live musicals, is that the very first thing we pointed cameras to were were performers, were vaudeville. The, you know, the very mm-hmm. the first shorts were, were vaudeville acts. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've been filming theater since the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when people talk about film and theater like they're these two different species it's like no they're the same family they've been related to each other this whole time and digital theater is just their next youngest sister you know and like in a way not even right because like you said we've been filming vaudeville we've been filming theater as long as there have been cameras in theater we've been filming you know, I grew up on the 1970s live um, Peter Pan with... Kathy um, Rigby? No, which one was Sandy it? Duncan. Sandy Duncan as Peter Pan. And I do like, like the Rigby performances. <laughs> of course, like, like, and so, like, I had that on VHS as a kid. And I am an evil child who didn't clap when Tinkerbell died. So that's how you know I'm a terrible person. Um, but this conversation like, just I took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a woo, U-turn. Um, but like I I remember watching that and I remember thinking, oh, this is a this is a musical. Like it didn't occur to me that like this is now a film. Like it never like hit that part of my brain that like, oh, this isn't a stage. This isn't a musical. This isn't a. It, it one of the ways I start try to describe digital theater, and this isn't even a fair description anymore. Was that digital theater was a bit more flat than a movie would be. A movie tends to do the eye of God and does the three D kind of like where where you know the camera is now the eye of God and you can see everything, whereas a film play tends to take just look at the play and look at what's happening and yeah they might do close-up of the actors faces and close-up what's going on but it's not about being the eye of god it's about being the eye of the audience yeah the, it's the audience's eye what I've, we've always say is there's always been this handshake deal that the camera is the tool of the audience, not the director in digital theater. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of variances because we actually are saying that digital theater is one of the places where film and theater just shake hands and they you get over your differences, make something. It's like a group project in school, just make something. Mm-hmm. And But we say that one of the handshake deals we've always made is that the camera is the eye of the audience. It's not the eye of a director. And I even say this, and this is coming from those one of those jackass playwrights who we've had so many arguments between fairly screenwriters, yes. that saying digital theater is just film is really insulting the film people who went to film school and are have their own special things and their own techniques and didn't just say that any person with a zoom camera can take that film just right just take it right away from them is a little insulting to them. And so I, what I've always tried to tell people is like, just because there's a camera involved, you're not seeing the intricacy about it. And what I've tried to, what I say in my own special way that Dana sums up in one sentence, because 
they do that. I, I do that. As I always say, theater is a consecration. And digital theater is a consecration in the world. The, the artists came together and made a space specifically for the audience. Basically, if the artist decides that this space is a theater, it is now a theater. It takes artists to make the space a theater. And so, not the space. You can't just declare a space a theater and not have artists in it making theater. And it was one of these That's things. the end of story. And there they say that. And then I go like, oh, why did I get this Masters of Fine Arts for? Because, <laughs> because the idea was that all these theaters are shut down. People say, you have to save theater. I was like, well, yeah, you have to save theater. But you're not a theater anymore. There's no artists in it. Mm-hmm. There's no. Save the artist, not the building. Um, was our sort of, was our, not even sort of, was our mantra at the beginning of. Of the pandemic, we and were we, like, we've centered our whole idea around this. When people say, "Can you share my fundraiser out?" or this, we will give priority to artist fundraisers instead not, of building fundraisers. It's like we would love to save theater number thousand, um, but we we know artists actually need it and would survive on it and need to eat. A building doesn't need to eat. And then we were doing a digital theater. Um, a workshop for the women's theater festival yeah and we were talking about uh we were just talking we said that it should be this thing where if you don't feel safe maybe theater is not theater where it's like theater is an act of consent not a not the place it's an act of consent it's an intentional thing done by the artist and if one artist is not feeling safe doing what they're doing or they feel marginalized or maybe they can take theater back and say, well, this isn't theater. And maybe we, and it was really well received. And it's just because in digital theater it happens all the time when all, all the artists turn on their cameras and they create a zoom room that was not there. It'll disappear. When you leave, I've never seen something more ephemeral in my life where even the physical space doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And it exists in this four dimensional space where it will not be, it cannot be put that same way again because there's um, audiences in Iceland. There's audiences in um, there. And even when you film it, it is more of a, you're only, you're not looking at all the audience. You're not looking at all the thing. You're only looking at the performers. You can't recreate that entire feeling again. Yeah. And then you say, that's not theater, but you'll go to a um, building where they might be asked to work extra hours. You're asking where you're um, not looking at safety, where you have a huge problem, especially with IATSE and other artists, where there's you have a problem where they might be marginalized because of the way they look. Um, people with disabilities have been frequently pushed out. Artists with um, artists with all kinds of um, different things have been pushed out. If you have a family, you usually had to been, make choices, and for some reason, you're bringing all these people together with the idea that if you don't come to this place you won't be able to eat tomorrow and somehow that's theater but not this other place that was made by mutual consent this because of the building is theater and it just didn't seem right to me dana certainly well because people say theater means the seeing place and i think people got hung up on place being a building physical but if we And the quote Roger Q. Mason, theater is where we see ourselves. 
or did I just take your? You, I wasn't gonna say Ro- quote Roger, although that is a good quote. I was just gonna say like the problem is that any space can be a you know can be a seeing space if you declare it as such, and I think especially especially for the BIPOC artists who were like. <sighs> The gatekeepers were the problem, right? A lot of times when I was speaking to BIPOC artists and um, I would, I tried to have two, I had two BIPOC roundtables where I brought together um, black artists. Um, I tried to get more than just black artists, but it wound up being mostly black artists. And I asked them, I'm like, you know, does it feel, does digital theater feel more free and it's like yeah i don't have somebody stopping me if i want to do a show i can just do it i don't have to go to i don't have to go to the building i don't have to go to the person i don't have a theater telling me that this won't fit with their audience ideals or this won't fit with a mainstream audience or having to re you know rewrite my work to fit something that'll work with their audience's aesthetic. And I, I I think for that alone, digital theater has, has paid its dues. What do you think will be the future of digital theater? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a can of words. This is where um, you'll have to stop me. (laughs) Because <laughs> oh no, um, I think the future dinner, the theater. There's a lot of places tapped where we've seen, we've seen bits and pieces of what are like the future, um, in some of work. I'm thinking like um, Lighthouse at the End of a World. I'm thinking yeah. about there's places where you um, that went even more into this once in a lifetime effort. Where light at the end of the world was a they worked on it was a, a choose your own adventure um, play, um, and so you could kind of click around, yeah, and um, you could click around and kind of pick how um, what stories you saw and how what order they would be in, and that was really cool. And then there was um, there was a play that we, I loved so much, but it was it was based on. Um, an artist trying to do a listen party uh, where you had this, the audience had to supply the album, but he was telling the story about losing his brother coming back. And so he would pause and you would have to play the album on your own time. So now that's something where the art, the audience has to bring something Mm -hmm. into the area and the audience has to bring something. I, I really wish that, digital theater would move more into making stuff that's more once in a lifetime, more up. It's up and on moment. You'll never get it back in that on part again. Um, light, um, lighthouse in the world was made by the no theater of Cincinnati. Um, my review of that was kind of harsh because they had some very, they kept, they tried to tried new tech right. and it just wasn't working. But even yeah. I had to admit that this is the most, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen if they could fix the way that we can click through everything. Um, the Jackson C. Frank listening party that was done. I'll link to that, but that was an interesting one. There's a lot of ones that I wish that they would push towards the ephemeral. I think the future of it could be a push towards, I wish that um, they could, I've, 
I would love to see stuff on multiple screens where you had to have two different iPhones, three, four. Um, I wish that you could move towards that, but then you could pull back. And I wish that the future was about more like what we've seen with recently over Halloween with Brig, mm. where a independent artist wrote some, um, this is Jeremy Motes wrote a horror movie. One of the, Ugh, well, this horror, uh, horror solo solo play. show and like shot it in 10 days put it up in his own website and just made it for donations only and it was one of the creepiest things we'd ever seen in our it life. was like it was one it was shocking and beautiful i think i think for me one of the things i hope for digital theater is that people start leaning in on demand Mm. I think whether or not you go full digital or whether or not you're just recording your stage show, right? If you can get into on demand, you can get money on the back end. So financially, right? Like I'm a marketer at the end of the day. I'm and the so, artist there, the marketer. And so I'm like, <laughs> that's just marketing 101 to try to get money on the back end. Like, why wouldn't you record your show, put it on video on demand? Get a second audience, your first audience to be like, oh, good, I get to watch it again. Like, and lean into that, but also like invite more people into your space. Like, how many people don't even know theaters exist in their own small towns? Like, we didn't, I, I've lived in Mays Landing, New Jersey, which is where we live, um, since I was 12 years old, um, technically on and off since I was a baby. But, um officially since i was 12 military brat um and i didn't know about half these theaters that are like 45 minutes from me and now imagine you have video on demand and they're sharing it on facebook and then they boost it to like local and then you're like oh my gosh okay and i pay 10 bucks and i can see the show and it's like oh i would love to see that in person like you're missing out if you're not doing that as a theater to me like you're missing money you're missing an audience you're missing and so it bugs the living hell out of me as somebody who like you could make money you could make audience you can make you could just you could just be doing more and so no reason why if playwrights wrote original works and they made them for the video on demand to create a, some kind of residual contract to have it up on your website forever or up there up in a space forever. And you could still be making money and you could still like be making money through your things. And I, I think a lot of companies are working mm-hmm. towards that. Now. We're seeing that trend towards it because a lot of what we've been seeing recently were video on demand or what I, we call aftermarket. Mm-hmm. back-end products so i think uh the future i would love the future to be see more art as more people leave the digital theater that didn't really understand it as in person comes back um i would love it if there's artists who can play with the formats play around but also that the theaters that have that theaters would see this great marketing potential to have the great marketing potential to have a back end to understand that you they can coexist with your in-person products 
-hmm. You don't have to. It's not one or the other. It's both. Like, that's the other reason I said pancakes and waffles. Use every tool. Oh, oh, absolutely. You, You are speaking... You are speaking magical words to me. <laughs> I could keep talking with you both for hours, but uh, we're running a little short on time here. So I have a series of quick questions, which I ask all my guests. You don't need to think about it too much. Whatever comes to mind is good, and there are no wrong answers. So to start off with, what is your favorite musical? Jesus Christ Superstar. And my favorite musical is Gypsy. Oh, awesome answers. Uh, what is your favorite filmed live musical? Mm. Ooh. Oh, man. Okay, does the TV doing the specials count? Like, NBC Presents count? Sure. Because, um, like, I'm going to, I would have to dig through my reservoirs for something better, but I was going to say the, the Wiz on NBC was like, earth shattering for me it was so good with uh Cirque du Soleil I'm so mad that didn't eventuate into a full production that it was meant to like come to Broadway and it hasn't happened it it needed (laughs) to it was so good um John Legend playing Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar just he it's now the standard every other Jesus Christ Superstar needs to fall in line with this one it changed the game and this is from the the person who owns the 1990s. Yeah, it's all crap now. <laughs> like worn out VHS of Jesus Christ Superstar. So <laughs> yes, it it was definitely like that's the only one now. <laughs> yeah, so good. One of my favorite TV live musicals of recent times. So we've talked a little bit about this, and try and keep it succinct. Uh, a filmed musical is not exactly live theater and it's not exactly film mm-hmm. so what should we call it <gasps> digital theater <laughs> digital theater yeah that's that's the name <laughs> we've been giving everything so digital theater where do you stand on bootlegs oh man see i <laughs> i come from a community where the bootleg is part of the everyday culture um i there's a part of me that's like, unless the copyright police are coming for you, unfortunately, there they are. Um, but in a world where they're not filming it themselves, I understand why the audience felt the need to do that. The bootleg is a supply mm-hmm. meeting a demand. So if you have a problem against it and you make decisions, you should take this as a cue that people want to buy your show. You could be make, you could be complaining mm-hmm. or you could be making money. Those are the numbers crunch them as you will. Yeah. Ricky and Dana, thank you so much for your time today. It has been truly a joy to chat with you both. Filmed Live Musicals makes musical theater more accessible, brings joy and creates a sense of connection for audiences around the world. With thanks to patrons Josh Brandon, Elliot Charles, Rachel Esteban, Mercedes Esteban Lyons, James T. Lane, Al Monaco, David Negrin, 
Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for being a part of spreading the love of musical theater. If you would like to join, you can do so by becoming a Filmed Live Musicals patron. For as little as $3 a month, you'll receive early access to the Filmed Live Musicals podcast, early access to site content, and a weekly newsletter with info on upcoming streams. Visit patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen to learn more. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening.